1: Oh, happy holidays, December 26th. This is the Mike Abadir Show. Gino Bocola here, and like always, the main man, Mike Abadir, right next to me. Mike, uh, we were just talking before we, the, the show started. Uh, we, we were except, expecting to be talking a little bit about San Anita opening day, uh, which is generally today, December 26th, day after Christmas. And they moved the opening day card to Saturday because they were projecting a lot of wet weather and a lot of rain, and people were I think upset the fact that they had made that cancellation so far in advance, but I was just telling you I got caught in what was basically a tornado warning last night in Orange County in in Southern California, which you just don't see all too often. So I think it was the right decision, at least to uh, to cancel that card. Happy yeah, we're holidays. not broadcasting
2: out of yeah. Kansas, everybody. Got you know we're we're in we're in Los Angeles, California. You don't get tornado warnings here, but it was a monsoon. That's for darn
1: sure. Well, just a, happened a quick. quick- Yeah, it came up out of nowhere. That's when it's scary. It wasn't like, you know, like generally when there's a storm or where there's like a flood or a lot of water, it's because there were like three or four days of this constant rain over and over. There wasn't the case at all. We left from Long Beach uh, to go to my my family's house for Christmas yesterday and we left at about three o'clock and when we were getting home um, at nine o'clock when we left at three o'clock. It wasn't raining. And when we got home at nine o'clock, it was like completely flooded everywhere. Um, at like twelve thirty at night, there were tornado warnings right around uh, John Wayne Airport. In so it was,
2: just and not, even not uh, your towards normal, uh,
1: towards Santa Barbara as well, there was another yep. tornado warning there mm-hmm. the earlier in the afternoon. And I think yeah. they, they like they got rid of that because there wasn't like in the weather that was that they we were quite expecting. And then it moved down, so it was all like down through Costa Mesa. And I get it, like I even. Posted on social media We are from California So most of the time You'll see the like On the news It'll be like Storm watch 2020 yeah. You know And there'll be like No rain at all And then a bunch of people Are out there Just like really overdoing it And over exaggerating Like how bad it was This was pretty scary Like it's scary When you're driving And you can't really see in front of you. Um, uh, that that to me was the scary part. So I'm glad that uh, Yeah,
2: poor visibility and the uh, Southern California has a problem with the cups of drainage and drainage. of that. It's not built for it. No. We're not, no, it's, not it's, at We all. saw
1: with the race tracks, you know, 10 years ago when they put in the synthetic race tracks that weren't built to handle uh the type of rain because they just weren't expecting it out here. So I all of that was like a, a roundabout way of saying I'm actually really glad that they canceled the Santa Anita card on opening day because yeah, it just and we saw what happened.
2: This. Yeah, I and mean, look, we saw what happened last January in, at Santa Anita. I mean, I think that's a big part of the decision making. That right? is the decision. January was the worst month, right? If I remember <laughs> correctly, I think that's when there was like 19 deaths or something like that in January, early part of February. Uh, it, it's the right call to me. It's they got it never surprises out. me how whiny horse players are, because just a few days beforehand, and I know you know what I'm talking about, they had canceled the Aqueduct card, I believe, after, you know, midway through the card, or after race two, race three, I'm not sure exactly what. People got all pissed off, but they did it based on the recommendations of the jockeys They come back and say it's unsafe conditions. They cancel the rest of the card. People are pissed, and I get it. You handicap a pick five sequence. You buy a daily racing form or uh, some digital, you know, assistance sheets, whatever it may be. I get it, right here. And the complaint there was, well, didn't you look at the forecast days in advance? You should know that it, it's going to be bad weather in New York, and just cancel the card so you don't have to have the players go through that. Well, in this instance, they looked at the forecast well ahead of time and canceled. And now you have people saying, "Oh, it's because the the track they don't trust it; it's not reliable. They don't believe in it." Where do you stand
1: on yeah, the I timing? Gonna, I mean, is there ever a time? Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I. Like to play devil's advocate, that I don't completely discount the that, um, that take or that side, just in that I wonder if if you're already canceling a track so far and about like so far ahead, is there a problem already? You know, because and 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 the the honest question is that it's just a different time that we're living in, honestly. It's just like with with everything that's happened in the last year, in particular at Santa Anita, I don't think. Even with the brand new racetrack, they would have been wanting to run those races on opening day in particular in, in the pouring rain. Because to me, it is. It's like, well, so now any time there's rain, we're just going to cancel? Is it really going to come down to that? They, th- so I can get that. I will say that the w- I, I think that the Santa Anita executives were probably praying for the rain yesterday uh, into today because they were right, no matter what. Whether they, they made a kind of a... A prediction and we're kind of doing the rain dance and hoping it rained to kind of give them a self-fulfilling prophecy it, it still was the correct call to make because no matter what we don't want to run a bunch of grass races on races and on courses that are taken off the turf we don't want to run a really sloppy racetrack that we're not sure about that i still am I'm like in the middle because if if they're not sure about a track should we ever be running on it i think it's just the reason for the cancellation the reason why we're doing a lot of these things is just for like for the public perception you know, how is this going to come off to the public? Because if something does happen, um, it would be worse than canceling a day and knowing that for sure there's not going to be anything happening bad.
2: <laughs> well, and here's the other thing, too. I don't think it's an admission, personally, because if it's an admission, then why run Saturday? You know, if it's faulty, it's faulty.
1: Yeah, that, what that's are we what if people are faulty
2: Yeah, is it faultier when it rains? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they shouldn't be running at all if they have issues with the track. So mm-hmm. I'm going to... Side with a the track has gotten clearance by all the experts that have come in and analyzed and studied it and they've declared it to be a safe track. I'm going to trust in that. You know what I equated to, Gino, in any sport, you have an overreaction type mentality. So let's just say in, um, I don't know, preseason football. Right. You have a couple guys get injured. What's the very first when and when is a key player quarterback or something like that? What what's the first thing people say? Shorten shouldn't the be preseason. Playing in the preseason. Yeah, shouldn't be yeah, playing in the exactly. preseason. Shorten the preseason. So there's always that kind of reaction, anyways. Here you had so many horse deaths that they knew if they run and anything were to happen, even if it has nothing to do with the track, it could be like rider carelessness, 100%. right? And takes out you know a horse or two and it causes a chain reaction. You know, I, I saw a terrible one at Charlestown about five six years ago. And I'm sure it's on YouTube. With it was a chain reaction type thing, something like. And I know they have tighter turns over there, and, and I think it was on and, working that You night. may have been actually, yeah. you know, you may have been on that. It was, it was one of the worst things i would ever yeah. seen. It's always stuck with me. I but there's like two like that, that finished the race. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine if something like that happened? At no, and you're right. They'd so, they probably be done. But and there's also one other aspect that I think is worth considering, which is the draw. Right, I mean, it's been an annual tradition. I don't think they've missed an opening day since the mid-70s at Santa Anita. It draws 40,000 plus. It's the biggest day if, of the year. Exactly. So now, what's that going to do to the draw if it's a downpour? Like, you saw the downpour. You were just talking about how bad it was. How many people are actually going to go out there with their families and stuff in the infield, uh, you know,
1: Filling up the seats. I actually wonder those how many people showed up today. That because that's the type of day that like the novice people all Blind, through like the go, San right? Gabriel Valley and Pasadena yep. that don't know racing are just like, oh yeah, we're going that. to the we're going to the track. My my, so my, my sister and I, people were interacting. She said she ran into someone and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to opening day. And she's like, no, you're not. <laughs> it's not going to be out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my hopefully, brother was just talking about handicapped it. handicapped Sunland Park. Yeah, because my <laughs> right? brother was like. So the like, I there were probably a lot of. Just your average people that are not like hardcore racing fans that go once or twice a year, and that's when they go. Whether they're in town f- with visiting family from Christmas, or it's just they go with some friends. Or I know, I mean, that's one of the the days where I get the I would get the most text messages from people. Hey, Gino, who do you like in this race? Or did you look at the races today? Or hey, uh, I'm going to the race. Give me a race or two, you know. And so, yeah, I'm I'm just curious. I'm I'm sure they had some people showing up just kind of dressed dressed and uh, ready for the track, and then and yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh Because, because even though the they were maybe
2: track. anticipating that it could be a downpour during the races, it actually wasn't during race time. During right race now, time, it was just right now. I actually, see the sun. So yeah. you know. Um, yeah, but I think that was a part of it too. They just kind of looked at it and they're and like, it, you know what? It, 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 we why even chance it? Why not get a big draw
1: and have like a really superb card uh, on Saturday? You got to be honest too. We are in a world right now in Southern California where there are not a lot of the horses. Period. And I'm not saying they canceled opening day because there weren't enough horses, but they're already having a tough time filling the Sunday card. Like the overnights for Sunday are, are still are not out right now, which is kind of weird because when you pushed the racing back a few days, you should have been able to get the kind of the Sunday card and, and those races set up a little bit earlier. Um, and even in, you know, the races that I was you know looking through right now and kind of digging my teeth into, there are some big name horses that are going to be showing up, but there's not Real, I mean, it just, it's just—it's sad. There's just not a ton of depth in all the fields. Like you look at the big races, and it's like, yeah, okay, we got Bellafina in the La Brea. We're gonna have Omaha Beach in a Malibu that is a field of five, a field of five in the Malibu. Three of them are Bafferts, um, and. I mean, like that was a race that people would point to all year long with their three year olds and and kind of skip the breeders Cup sometimes to point a horse to the Malibu. And so that's a little bit deflating. You look at the American Oaks, which isn't really uh, deep in in quality. so i I'm. I'm wondering, too, if, you know, they, they're looking around and at anytime there's a day that they can cancel, they're not going to really think twice about doing it because it's only going to help the bottom line as far as the horse population is concerned. And it'll help the next day of racing be a little bit better because I'm looking at this card. And if this card was drawn three days earlier, um, these stakes races, I mean, any race that you're looking at would have been shorter. You know, yeah, just, know you're, you're less absolutely right
2: in them. So, um, you know, you know what I call it, by the way, too, especially this winter. The Oaklawn effect.
1: I Notice, think Oaklawn's well, going
2: to be stacked. They're going to be
1: stacked, and it's just people were very loyal to Southern California for a long time, but now it's getting to the point where there aren't enough races for a lot of these barns for their horses. Right, the races aren't filling, and the purses aren't getting better. Right, and you look at a place like Oaklawn or or somewhere in Kentucky where you can run, you can have your horse run more often, and You can run for more money, you know, and you find maybe a spot that's better for your horse because there's more races being carted. So maybe, you know, a race that would have been a little tougher is now split. And there's two divisions of that race. And now it's a little I mean, it just if you're like an owner or a trainer, it's easier
2: to ship too, Right. If you're nowadays centrally located. Yeah. If you're centrally located in, in one of those states out there yeah, uh, you know, whether it be in Midwest or East Coast, you got a lot more options than out here. I mean, here, I and mean, it's either Turf Paradise, which you're not going to do that, or uh, or or Golden Gate on the synthetic. And so, you know, you are you're kind of limited
1: in the options. I, w- I will say that over the last, and I know you're someone who uh, from Northern California and loves to play uh, up there. I will say that over the last like six weeks or so, the one track that's really benefited from a lot of this is Golden Gate. Their racing is a lot deeper. Their fields are a lot fuller. They're actually getting some really quality allowance races and, you know, nice like optional claiming type races. Some of their maiden races were really deep. Um, I've been just like I would generally only look at Golden Gate a lot of times. Like if I was at the track playing as like a, you know, a companion to the, the Southern California races. But the last couple of weeks when I've been handicapping races for That's What G Said and just kind of going through the cards – I'm always looking at like one or two from Golden Gate. So they've actually been benefiting uh, a little bit and, you know, it'll Absolutely. get, it'll get and back to that like, conversation. It's not like such a chalky track anymore. No, it's not. And it's not like a, you know, when it used to just be on the dirt and on the at Golden Gate at Bay Meadows, we kind of knew it was very speed favoring too. Like it was hard to pass there and it's kind of the opposite now. It's a very fair playing racetrack. A lot of times it's hard to win when you're like right on the lead. Um, You want to be more of like sitting and, and kind of stalking coming from off the pace. So the con- the conversation will, I think, continue now. In should there be just one racing circuit in California, you know, and would it would it work logistically? Would people be able to go up to Northern California and afford to find live like housing, afford to find places to live for the hel- for the the grooms and the hot walkers and the valets? You know, um, would they be able to do that with their families and back and forth? It's hard enough going down to Del Mar for like six weeks. Uh, would it even be something to work as far as like for the horse population, it would be awesome. It would be so much better if there was, you know, if you could have a racetrack that you could run, maybe the lower, we saw, they tried to do the lower level claiming races here in Southern California. It didn't really work that that great. I think because what you end up getting is you end up getting like just horses that are in terrible form dropping through the roof. You know, you're not getting like a true Five thousand claimer who's been running in five thousand claiming races for a while, those horses are up at Golden Gate, you know that's where they are. they are, so I mean, where would you stand on something like that happening?
2: It's a tough call. I mean, I don't think that it's that likely to happen no I mean there's either. some pressure for it to happen, mainly because you have the same owner that owns both tracks in terms of Golden Gate and Santa Anita, right and why would why would they want to? Do that when they can make money on both. You know what I mean? I know they still they'll save money on some maintenance and stuff like that. But I mean overall, you want to have both of them running concurrently. Now, sure. if I'm sure if you had some, you know, if you and I could probably put our heads together and make better decisions than, than some mm-hmm. of these other and I don't say that jokingly, actually. I mean no, I, I do I, mean that. Even yeah. though in most in most things when people do say that, you know, oh, I could coach a Lakers or I could, you know, you really can't. But in this case, I think we've seen time and time again that the Decision making is very poor and they don't always um, come out on the right side of history, you know. But if you included Santa Rosa in the mix, which has pretty much good year round weather, and now you made it like a like a four forget about La Salle thoroughbred, right? And you just go Del Mar, Santa Anita, Golden Gate, Santa Rosa, quarter of the year for each, that's like a pretty nice you know, variety of tracks and, and surfaces and turf courses and configurations, one circuit. I'd kind of be down
1: with that. It would be interesting. The only- and, and then have the Fares and LaSalle kind of accommodate the lower level, cheaper horses. And I just think that the conversation that we're having is proof that there needs to be a change. Yes. Right. I mean we just But I mean what would you think of having...
2: that? Do you like those four tracks? As, as Sure. And I like the fact
1: that, that there's a turf course. I think is the key because yes. you get to Los Alamitos, I think there's a lot of times where um the owners or trainers, you know, they have a whole grass courses. They're, they they just kind of give them like that time off. They don't even yes. like think about running a race. And It's kind of it, treated
2: like the way Fairplex was. Well, and, and we would have like Rosa and some guys like that like that are going to lead the standings in because all the big guns are gone,
1: you know, and even even with Fairplex, you got like there were some trainers that would actually like point for Fairplex as like their meat of the year. You know, like there would be like the Craig Lewis's or there'd be three or four sure. barns. And just like you mentioned, like jockeys. And then what ended up happening is you'd at least get get horses that were like focused to that. I just don't know any one who's like, oh, yeah, we're going to wait and run in that low Salle meet. You know you had like a bull ring style racetrack so it was a little bit different and you had some horses that kind of took to it. Even the horses that are like their training at Los Alamitos just don't really run there period and it just is there's just not many horses right now out there and when you we're Doug O'Neill's taking some to Oakland and Dubai and Jerry Hollendorfer's is now going to be over there. I mean just those two and we're getting ready for our first break and it'll be in the next like 30 seconds to a minute but just those two barns think about like 16 months ago, how much of the horse population, the Doug O'Neill horses and the Jerry Hollendorfer horses would take up. And now they're both going to be, you know, Jerry's gone. And now Doug's going to be taking a ton of his horses away to multiple different places. Yeah. And just to remind the folks out there, we're not talking about Hol- only Hollendorfer's Santa Anita runners or SoCal runners. We're also talking about his Golden Gate runners, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, Joe Talamo's leaving um to go and into the circuit and we talk. we're talking we're not talking about people that are leaving for like the six-week meet they're planning they're gone like they're gone for their horses are going to be going to oakland and then what ends up happening those horses get claimed from there or they end up getting no they they stay on that circuit they go from oakland and then they're going to go to kentucky and they're going to go you know back and forth and they're going to stay midwest some of them are going to get claimed and they'll go to the east coast and then those horses are just out of california they're out of the horse population in california question Um, for
2: you would they be Would they be uh, eligible for,
1: like, you know, ship and win at Del Mar during the summer? If that um, happened?
2: Yeah. Or is I that think the first time that it happens or something?
1: I, I have to look on how they change the rules, but I think a lot of the time is it's horses that haven't, like, run at Del Mar before, or it, it's based on a certain. So I'll have to check in on the rulings. I know at each track it's a little bit different, like, if you haven't run in the state in six months or, you know, something like that. So. Yeah.
2: Um, because it, it, it would make sense that it would be like first time Del Mar runners, but then it, it would also make sense to want to bring them back. Sure. And maybe yeah.
1: they will have, maybe that's something they have to try. They have to do, um, you know, you know, later in the year, because yeah, I just don't think that the current way things are going, you know, it, it's not going to improve it, At The very, very most it'll stagnate, it'll stagnate, you know, and just be what it is flatline. But we're not going to improve. We're not going to be improving things, just doing re- insanity, right? Repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a, a different result. So, yeah, I think we're we're getting set for our first commercial break, but this is always a, a really fun conversation. And then we can kind of transition into some some basketball or maybe even a uh, football schedule for the weekend. But I think we're glad we discussed this for a little while because it was such a, it, w- it was weird not having Santa Anita running today. I will say that. This is like the first time in my lifetime and it just like, so weird to not Christmas Day and then opening day. It's just always been that way.
2: Yeah, it's always weird for me to see uh, you know, Golden Gate running, and they're not 12 and a half minutes apart with Santa Anita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm always that kind of looking for the uh, north and south. Didn't have that today. Uh, looking forward to having the back in the fold come Saturday with a very stakes-laden card. We'll take the first commercial break. Stay with us. We'll be back with more after this.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Inglehart, Racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high energy, all access sports show for you? Channel.
1: Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play by play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else—football and beyond. Sports info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast, all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at show.com Now, back to this week's
1: program. I believe we have uh, Alex Trebek joining us for just a moment <laughs> with some, uh, some trivia coming up, Mike, right? Yeah, I'm going to lay something on you, man.
2: It involves... The biggest trade in sports history. What would you think off the top of your head? Biggest trade in sports history? Uh, Herschel Walker. That always comes to mind for me first as well. Um, a few years before that, Eric Dickerson. That was a really big one as well. Actually, it was right around the same time period. Uh, yeah. Dickerson trade to the Colts, from the Rams to the Colts. You know, um, yeah. 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 It, it, it's funny because most of the trades happen in baseball, but the big ones we think about are in football, you know, because it was just so monumental in terms of what it did for the Cowboys. We're going to go back to baseball for this one. Gino, 100 years ago today, December 26th, Babe, Babe Ruth was traded to the Yankees. Wow. Yeah. Yep. 100 That's years ago one. to the day. That's a good yeah. one. There may, there may be a trivia down the road in terms of how many uh former Dolphins players uh, become pro bowlers or have had outstanding seasons this year. And, uh, and I was kind of looking at it and I, I know there's gotten some play, but I mean, Drake Tannehill, Mike Fitzpatrick, Drake. Jarvis Landry,
1: Larry Tarnall. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, the
2: list goes Drake, on and on. Like
1: if, you, like if you said Landry and Fitzpatrick, that wouldn't, those guys wouldn't have been surprising because they're super talented. The ones to me that are the most are, um, is Tannehill and is Drake, and it just shows. Like I think the one thing when when you we talked a lot about the Dolphins last year, and you you were super high on them, and they were very a team that overachieved quite a bit. And I think as time goes on, your main point, I think, with the team was that they were more talented and being held down by a yes. kind of inept, inept coach, which yes. is which we've kind of seen with we've Gates seen so far. Yeah. Now I think. It's because, look, because I, he's, had, he's I had really... high
2: grades on all these guys Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've got scouting reports, and I'm like, how are these guys, like, they should be names that we all know, and they're just being held back. They're
1: not even being used right. And it's weird with the Jets. The, the Jets are just a weird team, too, because, like, every time it feels like it's, it's like, time to give to give up on the Jets, then they come back and they play pretty well. They'll have like a game where they play well or they beat someone that they shouldn't beat or they'll beat the Cowboys or they'll beat the Steelers. You know, it's like, so every time I'm about to just say, gosh, they're so bad. But I don't think that has a whole lot to do with him as a coach. Like, I think he's, I don't think he's a very good coach. And I think what, whatever it is, right. He's not like a very, if you, if you've, if you've never watched Adam Gay speak or like heard him at a, in a press conference, like go, go look it up, uh, you know, and see he's so socially awkward. You know, which you ca- I hate to say it. You just can't be that way when you're like a leader of men.
2: You no, know, you a can't head
1: coach. You and can't. by the way, his douchebaggery has gotten to
2: just the greatest heights. Did he read this uh, or hear about this the other day? He said something about how I'm rich and I don't care about, you know, like yeah. this is like they were heckling him. And, and, and apparently he's made this comment multiple times. Basically, like, I don't care. I'm rich. I'm richer than you are. Leave me alone type of thing. It's, funny it's not a leader
1: that, for you, man. It's kind of like a, what LeBron said. I think LeBron almost said something like that a few years ago when they got knocked out of the playoffs uh, one of those years, and he was like, remember, uh, you, I, I, I wake up and I got millions of dollars. But, but at least man, that guy is a world champion. No, no. And best I was, player on was earth for like 100% a 10-year running period. Is that he had just got knocked out of the, wor- the, the world championships when he said that, you know what I mean? And he is, whether or not you like the way he handles himself, like always in the conversation for the best, whereas Gase has not really proven anything. At all. I mean, it, it's unbelievable to see how comfortable Ryan Tannehill looked this year. Like, he looked like a completely different player. And maybe a combination of it was, like, Tannehill understanding, like, okay, you know what? This might be, like, my last shot to, like, prove myself here. You know what? I'm just going to kind of let loose and I'm going to play with, like, like no pressure on myself. And he was kind of put in a, in a good situation, too, when Mariota was so bad that, like, I think anybody but Mariota would have been a nice upgrade. But... You pointed out four players. The Drake one. He looks like a completely different player. It's um I'm I'm I've never been too high on Sam Darnold, but I'm I'm not really high on his chance to grow with uh with what I've seen from Adam Gase in, in you know, just his year being a, it feels like he's been the head coach of the Jets for a lot longer than just a year or two. It feels like he's been there for a while because they've struggled, but um to me, like if I'm making the list of like the really poor coaches in the league, there are a lot of coaches who get really tight in big games or they'll yeah they'll be kind of okay one week and then struggle the next. But I, I would put like kitchens and and Gace on two of the absolute worst, like right there with with Jason Garrett too, because it's just the underachieving that you feel like. You just don't feel like their teams ever maximize their talent and we're seeing it, as you just mentioned, with all the Miami Dolphin players from last year who have gone elsewhere and who have been successful and who just look like completely different players. They don't put their players in position to succeed. And in fact, they do the opposite. They take really good players and they, they make them do, you know, too much. They ask too much of them in which is going to just unfortunately make them fail.
2: Yeah, they, they never really let Tannehill loose. That was one thing that I was always wondering. I'm like, man, let him air it out, man. Enough with the screens that aren't working. You know, He's it's kind of like your insan- It's kind of like your insanity uh, you know, uh, line, right? They keep trying it over and over and over again. And and that was what was really frustrating me about what they were doing over there. And they have playmakers. They've had playmakers over the years. I mean, when you've got like you know, Drake and Landry, I mean, they're right there, you've got you know, weapons. You know, any when- team, any team that succeeds. That does really well, you typically could have a really good
1: running back and a really good receiver. They How have about both. Parker? How about Parker? What he's done this year? Yeah. He was one of those players that everybody kind of gave up on. Like, he's been since the halfway point of the season. And he even, was like the, Kenny Stills, by the way, was pretty decent. Sure. He was the number two. Uh, Parker was like the number two fantasy wide receiver this year for um, like the second half of the season. And you, you're telling me that you couldn't figure it out a little bit better there with. These skill players that we're talking about, I mean, it's it's head-scratching. Uh, it, it really is. So, um, I mean, as we move on to talking a little bit more about this year, when you look at the top teams, most of them all have a, a similarity, good coaching. Like, almost all these teams that are locked into the playoffs or have had successful years, you talk about San Francisco, I mean, their coaching staff is incredible. Absolutely, absolutely incredible what they've done You talk about Baltimore I mean what a year ago Like week, middle of the year We were talking about is Harbaugh going to get fired And then he made the change He went bold and he said I'm going to put in Lamar Jackson I'm going to build an entire offense around him And the, the most impressive thing to me about Harbaugh Is that he continues to Improve every year With his analytics the way he goes for it. he talks about how he has the people. Um, he has like researchers and and that are helping him with it, and he kind of trusts a lot of them. I think there's like a twenty six year old that like makes most of his decisions for him, you know, who's just like a very highly educated person when it comes to the analytics. like he's doing things that he wouldn't have done a few years ago, which is awesome an improvement. Like I don't see that with Gase L- like you said, he's gonna stubbornly say, haha, I'm gonna do what I want to do because I make more money than you screw you. Like he feels like that kind of guy. Like, I, I I watch Freddie Kitchens, and it's like, I don't feel like week to week he's improving. And, I mean, I feel like Bill Belichick is doing something different this year than he was doing three years ago. You know, Sean Payton, I feel like when I watch him, he's constantly improving. Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds, period. He's able to, like, make Matt more successful and move the ball as a backup quarterback. You know, you go through all of these, all of them, even the Eagles, With Peterson, you know, they've underachieved most of the year, but like in the big game, he's able to get the most out of his team with like zero skill players on the field. And uh,
2: it took took Garrett to school. And by the way, there's a quick tie in between some of these guys that you're talking about. It's really interesting. People probably have forgotten, but um, you're talking about John Harbaugh and the job he's done. And yeah, it's been tremendous. And by the way, a quick footnote. One of the things I love the most about Harbaugh is this, is that he's a defensive coach by nature. And I love it when I see a team that makes its mark in the league on on one side of the ball and then reinvents itself and is amongst the top on the other side of the ball in a five or six year period. I mean, it would be like McVay, an offensive wizard, you know, five years from now, having just this ridiculous Chicago Bears type defense. I love seeing that from a head coach, we saw that with Shula back in the days with the great defense of the 70s and then the Marino passing attack of the 80s, you know. um, But anyways, I kind of digress a little bit. But a really quick footnote. Did you know that Harbaugh was not their first choice for the Baltimore Ravens back in 08 when they had the uh, coaching vacancy?
1: Jason Garrett was. Jason Garrett was. He turned the job down. He went with the Cowboys.
2: Yep. Or stayed with the Cowboys, I should Mm -hmm. say. Um, you know, and got promoted to head coach and Harbaugh was their second choice. So, uh, good decision all the way around for the Ravens to pull the trigger on Harbaugh. And I'm sure they're pretty glad that Garrett decided to stay with the Cowboys. Totally agree with you though, Gino, it's, it's all, the NFL is
1: all about coaching. Yeah. And you know, what's great. And just to, we'll we'll stick on this topic for a second with Harbaugh is like, he's a special teams guy. You know, yeah. like think about that. Are we going to ever find like head coaches that are that are like former like special teams coaches? Probably not. We get so caught up in like the next offensive mind, you know, or like the next great defensive mind. When I think that he shows you that it's more than just being a skilled play caller or a skilled defensive play caller. Like you have to be able to manage all three phases of the game. We forget about special teams so often because we talk about offense and defense and you know you look at their team and with Justin Tucker they just don't make mistakes on the special teams that some other teams end up making and that end up killing you so um, you know, they're so that's, locked a very,
2: that's a very good point, because because he, he was a position coach, uh, his responsibility, in addition to being a special teams coordinator, he he's always uh, coached DBs. So mm-hmm. he hasn't even been like a defensive play caller yeah. or something like that le- leading into this. So definitely, though, uh, I think spe- that special teams background has come in and helped quite a bit. And uh, and it's evident with their special teams play. So in their we're
1: Yeah, they're locked in now as the number one seed. So as we go through and and talk about week 17, let's talk about how the playoff scenarios currently are. So in the AFC, Baltimore locked in as the one. The Patriots, they can still be the two or the three. Kansas City can still be the two, three or the four. Houston can be the three or the four. Buffalo is locked into the number five seed. And then Tennessee controls their own destiny as far as getting the number six seed. They can, with a win, they are the number six seed. If they lose and Pittsburgh wins, Pittsburgh is the number six seed. But how about the great one, Mike, which I'm sure you're hoping and sitting on. If Pittsburgh loses, Tennessee loses. Which which could happen. Which which could very well happen. happen. The Colts beat the Jags, sure. Why can't that happen? And the Raiders win, the Raiders are in. I actually think that the hardest
2: thing of... Uh, of any of those is for the Raiders to beat the Broncos. It might be, because they're, the, they're dogs there. That's they're, the, I think that's the hardest, because I do think that Baltimore, even with RG3 and without Ingram, will beat the Steelers, who are also going to be without, I mean, they have a kind of a quarterback shuffle there. They're going to be without their last week's backup who came in, who would be the starter, but he's hurt. So now they're going back to the backup who was last week's starter. If that yeah. makes any sense at all, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and, and the running back is probably going to be out once again. So both teams are going to be minus, you know, quarterbacks and running backs. So on paper, you know, the Ravens I think still have the advantage over the Steelers, and I think they still want. You know, I you know what I found is that teams when they're on a roll they continue rolling. If you go back and yep. look at it, I bet you so many teams that were thirteen and two who clinched everything finished fourteen and two.
1: Hmm. It's it's. It's just the, like you mentioned, too, it's the it's a well-oiled machine. Yes, it's the same philosophy with the next man up. And you can do the next man up for one week or two weeks. The, the, when, when next man up doesn't work is when you lose a bunch of your skill players and then you have to try to play with lesser players for a full year. You can do the next man up. I always I always imagine like for, when I go back to the Lakers, like with Kobe, when Kobe would miss a game or two, you'd get everybody else to step up. And the Lakers would win or they play well. And then if Kobe was hurt for two weeks, they'd start to lose games because they couldn't play over their head for so long, but you can get it. You know, the the offense isn't going to have to be that different with RG three. You know, they're going to be able to run the same type of offense that they run with Lamar Jackson. Exactly. Right. So they're not, here's not going to. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I completely agree with you. I,
2: I think it's, uh, it's, it should be a pretty smooth transition. And RG3's got a lot of experience, too. So he's a very seasoned backup. He started a lot of games. He's, you know, uh, you know been, been in this system for enough of a time now. And it's, it, like you said, the, the plays aren't going to be any different. And so I think that the uh, – and look, you always want to beat your division rival. They hate the Steelers. They're not at all going to lay down for them. So they, would,
1: they don't want them to make the playoffs. You think, no. like, and it'd be too, they want to keep them out of the playoffs completely. They don't want them to get in. So, uh, exactly I'm with right.
2: you. And I think right. the same thing for the Texans, by the way, against the Titans. Now, I'd have to go back and look. So, the Texans, could they pass the Chiefs? Did you say that the three is yes. a possibility? Right? Yes, they could. So, the three if, they the were the with three, if they were the three, I guess it's impossible, though, right? Because can they be, actually, if the, the Raiders City needs in, to lose,
1: because they have the time, they beat Kansas. Well, City. I was just, I was just gonna say if if
2: they win, they have to win to get the three. And if they win, that means Tennessee loses. I was just trying to figure out if they could host Tennessee as a three versus six, but that would mean that the Titans get in by losing, which I, I suppose believe- is possible. If Pittsburgh loses and the Raiders lose, they still go. Yeah, so, that would be
1: the good yeah, scenario. Yeah, they could. They could. They,
2: they could very well uh, host them if the chiefs lose and the texans
1: win. Remember we saw this situation last year with the vikings? They just needed a win to get in and they got beat up. Um we see teams back into the playoffs every year. It sure. happens because if there's a lot of, like the the game that i'm scared about this week is the eagles. Right? You had your big huge your entire season on the line last week against the cowboys and you played pretty well and that game wasn't close. Like you beat up the cowboys, you handled them even with you know, inferior talent. That Cowboys team was much more talented from top to bottom. And now, can you go on the r- or can you go this week and play a team that has nothing to lose and that just wants to beat you? You know, remember they struggled against the Giants and against the Redskins in the weeks leading up to the Cowboy game, and they lost to the Dolphins prior to that. So there's no gimmies. With the Eagles. No, Bears. the best thing that the
2: Eagles have going for them is that uh, they need to beat out the Cowboys, <laughs> right? Yeah. I was yeah. dead wrong about them. I thought they were really going to, you know, clutch it up and 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 pull out a victory there. Uh, we, we had got to take a commercial break, Gino. But I think what I was kind of getting at was, have we ever seen that where the last game of the season, you know, where you have like the matchup of the Texans and the Titans, and then they turn around and play the same matchup in the same place the following week?
1: Yes. Yes. We back-to-back back weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think what ends up happening, like in, in some of the years, is that just what we're saying. You don't want to let a team beat you and then have to play that team the next week, right? No. It's even it's just a, it's a mental thing. You put your foot through their on their throat and you and you end it before you even give them another opportunity.
2: Hmm. That'd be interesting to go back and see, uh, kind of historically, how what what the results have been like. I know teams have played each other three times in a year, many times. I just couldn't remember. But it's usually not back-to-back
1: to back back to weeks. Back. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Let's take a commercial break, Gino, and we'll come back and resume the conversation and shift a little bit to the NFC as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: channel. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from The Revolution with Jim and Trav. To wrap up a fantastic year, the boys are headed for Mountain Goat with Nick Hoffman from Nick's Wild Ride. Plus, they'll dive into sighting in your rifle and the how-tos of selecting optics with Matt Rice of Bushnell. Finally, Jill Gechter from Cinch will discuss essential hunting apparel. The Revolution with Jim and Trav is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at one 472 5788 That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at the show.com
1: Now, back to this week's program. Closing things out here on the Mike Abadir Show. So uh, as we're talking about... The NFL playoffs and and teams having to play each other multiple times throughout the year remember it was the team last year that I was high on Mike the Colts who they got um, they were two and five then they get hot they end up getting to nine and six and then the final week of the season on December the 30th they had to play at Tennessee in order to win to get in and they beat Tennessee or and then the next week they end up uh, making it to the playoffs. And excuse me, okay. So the next next week they play the Texans. So I guess I was wrong on that one. Sorry, I was reading that I was reading those box scores wrong. But the Colts had to the win to get in last year in order to do that. Um, I'm gonna keep looking that up and see if we can find that the teams that have had to play each other back to back because we've seen them. And then the Colts end up getting beat by the Chiefs uh, in the second round of the playoffs uh, last year. Who have you now with with one week left before we get into this week's selections? What were your Super Bowl predictions to start the year? Kansas City and New Orleans. Would you now, at the opportunity to
2: change, would you make a change? I'm probably going to keep it just because, you know, both my selections are really good teams. You know, so it'd be kind of silly to, like, come off of the the Chiefs and then have them win, (laughs) right? Uh, Because I think if there is a team that can beat the Ravens, I think it is Kansas City. I completely agree. Right, Right. so uh, obviously if I was going to make a change, uh, logically, you'd go Baltimore, right? I mean, it's no kind of a no-brainer if I, if I were to make a change. But I think the, the Chiefs are peaking at the right time defensively. And, and we know that they could score a ton of points. Even though they haven't been as explosive this year as last year, but we know they have the, the capability to do so. And we've seen them be able to kind of score a will when needed. But it's their defense. And uh, the, I think the the glue to it is Tyrone Mathieu
1: I mean, they're, they're, their defense is ranked number 10 in the league right now on DVOA, uh, Football Outsiders. And I'd be
2: which, interested to see, by the way, um, what it is after like maybe like week six.
1: Yeah, they, they are a team that is peaking at the right time. They are one of the most balanced football teams. Now, my only concern with them is can they run the ball well enough if it's kind of like a hit-you-in-the-mouth game, back-and-forth against a good team, uh, against a good defense. I, and or, I look, or, run, or run out the clock, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Like, if they're up, can they control the clock and control the game? Because when we go like through they don't the— they have the Derrick Henry type guy. 100%. And when we go through the AFC, just so we were doing, if I could—I picked Kansas City versus the Eagles uh, as my Super Bowl prediction to start the year. And if I could change in the AFC, I'll say the only— team that I would even think of changing to would be would be Baltimore. Like I just I don't like this group of the Patriots. If they beat me and they're in the Super Bowl this year, it's gonna be like completely against my analysis because I just don't think that this group is quite good enough to beat Baltimore, to beat Kansas City. I don't even really like how they match up with Houston and, and Buffalo, to be completely honest. Um and in by those the way,
2: what's the commonality of all those teams? They all have outside of the Titans, they all have the exact same problem that we're talking about. Is they don't have that reliable back? The Texans, who's their reliable back? None, right? I them. mean, yeah, I don't think they've got a go-to guy. Patriots don't, Chiefs don't. Uh, it just, it just the Titans and then the Ravens with Ingram.
1: Uh, yeah, and you yeah, know, and even, I mean, that's even that, Buffalo that's has it. a better running game than the other three because with Buffalo you get a combination of uh, Singletary, Gore, and Allen who can also run. You sure. know. So, yeah, and when we transition over to the NFC now, the NFC is a little more clear cut. The San Francisco 49ers and Seattle are in. San Francisco is going to either be the one or the five. Seattle can actually either be the one, two, three or the five based on what happens this weekend. The Saints can still be the one, two or three. The Packers can still be the one, two, or three. We know for sure it's going to be the Eagles or the Cowboys as the number four. We know for sure it's going to be San Francisco or Seattle as the number five. And we know for sure Minnesota is going to be the number six. So we know that the playoff teams are going to be six of these seven. The only team that's not in that has a shot to get in would be Dallas if Philadelphia loses. Um, so the, the NFC is a lot more clear cut. And, and when you're looking talking about the NFC, just compared to the AFC, if you told me Minnesota as the number six seed one, I wouldn't be that shocked. would really really wouldn't shock me. Having to go on the road and win multiple games, maybe that would surprise me a little bit. But I don't think the difference between San Francisco, who's good, Seattle's good, you know, the Saints are good, the Packers are good, and Minnesota's good. And even an Eagles team, they can win their home game at the very least. This NFC, to me, looks very, very wide open, and I'm really excited for the NFC playoffs.
2: Yeah, and you know what? It is pretty stacked there's a lot of very interesting teams they win in different ways uh you know they have you know you have your star quarterbacks or you have good defenses there's there's different there's a different formula for each team I, I am a little bit concerned about san francisco's defense you know uh i it, it kind of begs the question was their defense really good because they feasted on bad teams and not just bad teams as you alluded to a show or two ago, bad teams that were playing their worst when they face San Francisco because the Niners have been giving up a boatload of points, right? And, and yards in, in the last X many weeks they give up 31 to the Rams last week, 29 and a loss to the Falcons, 46 against the saints, right? I mean, so that right there is a really bad three game run and, and not that long before that, you know, um, they'd given up 26 to the Cardinals 27 and lost to the Seahawks, 25 against the Cardinals. So I mean, they've pretty much been 25 and up a vast majority of the second half of the season. And you last know, week, of, they needed the
1: Rams to kind of shoot themselves, right? Yeah, the Rams they kind of had to. Up. They they can completely completely different game than when the Rams and the 49ers played in the first the first time around. Completely, where the the Rams completely dominated the game. This one, I mean, they completely dominated, and the good 49ers team, who's having a good year, they find a way to win, which is which is fine. It's just that it's happened now, as you mentioned, a few weeks in a row. Yeah. This is a huge week, obviously, for those two teams because we've heard now with Seattle, they they brought Marshawn Lynch back into the fray. Um, they they are without their top two, like top three running top backs. three, top three, yeah, yeah. who have well, all got here's, injured in the, the last three thing weeks for them.
2: So here's the real question for them. So if, they, if everything happens the way they want it to happen, they win this week, right, when, which, which basically, you know, puts them in a pretty good position to have a bye the following week. Not for sure, but a good position to have a bye. If that's the case, right, then you have two playoff games and then the Super Bowl. So really it's four games that we're asking Marshawn to come in with fresh legs and fill that role. I think it's doable. You know, people look towards, you know, he he hasn't run, you know, hasn't played in a game in over a year. True. But you only need him, you know, really one game at a time for a maximum of four games. And I'm including the Super Bowl in that. So let's just say to get to the Super Bowl, which I think is the goal, and then we'll figure out how to win the Super Bowl once we get there. You really need him to excel for three games. I think he could do it, man. I think he can get you 75 to 150, uh, to 110 yards in this upcoming week, he could, he could do a good job blocking and He's fresh. All they really need is just enough of a running threat. That's it. To keep a the wrinkles on. That's to all keep the D on. That's, That's all they really need. And I think Marshawn does provide that. I think it's going to be an effective strategy. And um, I, I think Seattle gets it done. I think they get it done at home against the 49ers. Uh, this will be Jimmy G's biggest game of his life. And a lot of those guys' biggest game. And Seattle's been there, done that. Russell Wilson's been there, done that. Hard for me to go against Russell in this game.
1: You're getting it. And, I mean, in some spots, you can get more than a field goal now. Like, you can get three and a half. I think if you find that anywhere, you take it. Because if this is a close game and Seattle loses by a field goal at home, you still cover. Sure. Um, but I like them on the money line. Oh, me too. And, I mean, I think they can win this game straight up. Main, the main reason why is just, if there's a game that you know, like nobody's betting, like looking at this game and very few people are betting Seattle, like everybody's looking and going, oh, Seattle's like really banged up now, uh, San Francisco. And so those are the games where you actually have to bet. Like a lot of times when the logic, you kind of throw it out the window and you just see the way that the money's moving and you go against the public. Uh, That's what I would do in in this particular. And this is a hard week uh, as far as like finding games to like because there's so many games where teams just, have nothing to play for, and you're just curious, like, okay, which team has the motivation? Which team's kind of already given up and they're on they're on vacation, you know? So this is one of the few games that still has a whole lot of meaning, and that's why I I would lean absolutely lean the home team getting points. I think everybody's worried about them, and I I think Lynch is going to at least give them what they need.
2: Completely agree. Let's uh let's go to our picks then. So I am hoping to close out strong because this season, you know, we, neither of us have really been that uh, exceptional in terms of a uh, hit points for selection on week. the show. Yeah. But you know what? That's the beauty of this is that we can close strong and, and have start the all most over. important time of the year, which is the playoffs to go on. A run. So go. let's, uh let's make that happen starting right now. So first play, you guessed it. San Francisco, uh, Seattle Seahawks against San Francisco 49ers. Fr- Seattle is getting three points. I like that on the money line. They got the wrong team favorite. Seattle wins at home against the 49ers to wrap up that division. I also like another home team, the Carolina Panthers. I know that the Saints are kind of in a must-win if they're going to get a bye, Um, but 13 points is a lot of points on the road, on the grass, and Carolina has one thing going for them, which is they want to keep McCaffrey in the MVP conversation. So you know he's going to get in the end zone a couple of times. If they just get 14 points, that it's 14 to, to 17 points. I think uh, the Saints probably are in that 24 to 27 point range. So it, it'll be close, but I like Carolina getting uh, that many points. Sa- same kind of philosophy with the Lions. I like the Lions getting 12, 12 and a half, somewhere in that range at home against the Packers. Packers look pretty decent on Monday night, defensively, especially. Um, not that thrilled with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I'm still not big on him. I know I was wrong about that game last week, but uh I'm uh, I'm gonna go against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers once again. And uh and the the last game, I hate to say it, but actually no, I'm not gonna do it because I don't wanna I don't wanna jinx my Your Raiders. Flag. Yeah, I was gonna say I like I like uh <laughs> you know I like the uh Broncos Broncos in an upset but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, shy away from there so my last game is gonna be the Dallas Cowboys minus 11 against the Redskins against their backup quarterback who started off the year as their starter Case Keenum I think the Cowboys lay a weapon on the Redskins to save their lives and jobs
1: yeah two same two two same place Dallas and um I think Dallas is going to look to play their best game of the year this year. And it probably doesn't mean anything, you know, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be with Seattle with you also. So those are going to be my two plays and, uh, and we will, uh, we'll know what the playoffs look like next week and we'll be, uh, we'll be picking playoff games. So that'll be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, that will be a whole lot
2: of fun. And uh, we'll put out a uh, contest once again for the playoffs. And uh, hopefully everybody got in on the capital one bowl mania. anyways, Happy New Year, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. We'll see you right on the other side of 2020.
0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.